Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Coming up on The Payoff, Rob Coble was an Emmy Award-winning investigative reporter, and then his life completely imploded. It imploded because his ex-wife had written a book about being in a relationship with an abusive spouse or an abusive partner. Uh, turns out that partner was Rob. Rob was this person when he was in his addiction, and when the book came out, he spiraled. Uh, she made an appearance on the Dr. Drew Show. This woman is a well-known CNN anchor. We get into all this and we get into how Rob battled back from basically the consequences that he was dealt as a result of his alcoholism and how he found a way. He said something that really stuck with me at the start of the, or at the end of this podcast. He said, it's not so much, and I think he was quoting uh, Brad Pitt or Anthony Hopkins. He said, it's not so much the mistake, because people love to focus on the mistake. It's the next move, right? What's the next move people make? Rob has been full of next moves in his sobriety, and uh, he's somebody who I, I had heard about him because it was a pretty big deal when he, he got arrested uh, urinating on, outside of an Apple store in Milwaukee. It's all on the podcast. Uh, I was on tape part of it, and uh, you know he was an esteemed newsman in Milwaukee, so obviously, as you can imagine, this made some headlines, and uh, hopefully this podcast will too, at the very least. We hope it helps somebody. Speaking of helping somebody, come on, let's get a little help right now from my main man, Kevin Souza. Rob. Hey, Pete. How you doing? <laughs> What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing fine, sir. Thanks for asking. You got it. Are you uh, in Southern California today? Where are you at? I am in Los Angeles. Yes, yes, sir. You're in Texas, right? I'm I'm in Texas, coming to you from Texas. We have, by the way, we've crossed paths a lot. We've been circling each other for a while. Uh, and we uh, have. Yeah, <laughs> it's I pretty interesting. It's very cool. We've, we've been to some pretty cool places, huh? Yeah, so I'm so I'm super pumped. You know, I one of the people who I've had on here is Courtney uh, Friel, uh, and oh, sure. she I I I had known about you for a long time, right? Uh, because of of your story, we're going to get into that in, in a couple moments, and uh, you know, talk about pretty much what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Uh, but you know, I'm just going to interview you through the whole thing because I'm so interested in your story and stories like these stories of recovery, um, that start off, <clears throat> you, you know, they kind of all start off at the same place at the, at the bottom, what, what, <laughs> what, whatever your particular bottom is. So anyways, I listened to Courtney's podcast and I, and I heard you on there. I saw you on there and then I was like, Oh my gosh. And it's so cool to see you doing so well. Uh, be- well, thanks. Man, and, and, and you as well. I mean, I think what you have like 12 years now. Well, 10 years, uh, 10 years. Yeah. 10 years? And you're coming, okay, you, you're 10 years too, right? Coming up on it. Yep. September uh, 22nd, 2012. So yeah, good for you. I mean, that's dude, congratulations. Cause it's no easy feat. And 
and listen, you, you, you've taken life, you know, by the horns too, by the bull horns and found a new, you know, purpose, passion, you know, throughout and are chasing that. I think that's a secret success to recovery. Do you, you think, you think finding uh, like a passion almost on the other side of it, yeah. aside from you're pretty much, you're a 12 step guy from what I've, from what I've read and, and listened to, right? Pretty much. Yes, I am. You know, I, and, and I will talk, you know, cause I, I think I listened to some of yours with Courtney too is, you know, I, I refer to it as AA yeah. and I do as a, you know, with utmost respect for Alcoholics Anonymous and I don't reveal anybody else's anonymity or anything, but there's a reason I do that because I believe there's so much value in that program and maybe you combine it with something else, but to not mention it, I think does a disservice. And a lot of people, critics will say, well, when you mention that and you go back out and you relapse and everybody says it doesn't work. And I'll say this to that piece is that I have a lot of friends that have died from cancer. They were treated with chemo and radiation. We never blamed the treatment. We blame the disease. It's the same thing. It truly is. And I was going to tee you up to have you say that because I've heard you say that before and I, and I love it. <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, you know, come on, you're a journalist. You've done this before. I was, I, I was ready to tee you up, pal. So let's start. Well, I, I just, Go ahead. I love what you guys were doing and, and you know, really congratulations. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard and you didn't have to necessarily, you know, I, I looked up your brother and stuff too. So I see that, you know, you, you've had that running, you know, to the family and everything, but you didn't have to come forward, dude. So I give you a lot of credit because I would say it helps a lot of people and sometimes it may hurt us, but you know, we do it because we do care. Well, it's a, it's a passion and you have the same passion. Uh, I, I see you, you know, working in recovery now, um, kind of weaving it throughout your entire life. And, you know, P, I didn't have to do it. You, you kind of did. And here's why for people that don't know, Rob, Emmy winning, uh, Emmy winning, uh, journalist, investigative reporter in Milwaukee. Um, when, when it hit the fan and it's, it's, it's such an interesting story because I think there's, everybody looks at the big, the big unraveling, uh, you know, you end up taking a piss on the Apple store in Milwaukee uh, and that's the culmination of a six-month run. Uh, mm-hmm. What what happens? What's the prelude to that? That lead, because you know you're on tape. Everybody hears about it. I remember reading about it. You're on national news. You're on local news. You're an investigative reporter. So, you know, this happens to you. People are gonna people are gonna come for you because you've been coming for them. Yeah, and boy, did I give them plenty of ammunition, you know, uh, to do that and. Uh, you know, you work in the news business and you're an investigative reporter, you don't make a lot of friends and, you know, they look for, for you know, something where there's a weakness, a chink in the armor. And certainly drugs and alcohol have always, you know, throughout my life have been that way. And really what led up to the, um, the, the, the binge, the three-day binge at the end was my ex-wife um, is a CNN news anchor. You know, her name is Christy Ball. She re- uh, released a book uh, that talks all about her, um, hey Rob, you're sounding you're sounding a little muffled now. Um, oh, is is it any better? Yeah, there you go. Okay, is that better? Okay, sorry. Let me make sure that this is up uh, as high as it goes. Oh um, man, there you go. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, and um, so you, so your ex your 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 ex wife is is a CNN news anchor, Christy Paul, but she's I guess at the time of the, the, this all happens, she's on HLN, right? Yes. yes. Okay. And, and go ahead. No, you go ahead. You go well, ahead. no, so yeah. she, she writes a book, um, 
and and it's about being in a, a verbally abusive relationship and yep. this you find out about this and and what happens well i mean what happens is the guilt and the shame all the issues that i hadn't dealt with um in the 12 years that we had been divorced, you know, come back. You know, I felt horrible about things that we had gone through, the struggles that we had done. We had no contact or communication. There wasn't really any reason to. And she wrote the book, um, you know, went through some of our counseling sessions, talked about our lives, uh, some of it's true, some of it's not, released a country music song. And uh, as she promoted that book, um, it was extremely difficult for me. And I had no tools to work through that, you know, process, except for what I've known all my life at that point was, you know, um, drugs or alcohol. Yeah. And, and you get, you get a, you, you get an inkling that this is going down. Um, and then it's, you go on a, like a six month run, uh, because dude, I can't imagine what that would be like. I mean, if a, a woman that I dated, let alone married, uh, were to write a book about me when I was in my addiction and the back and forth, Right. And the ebbs and flows um, uh, of our relationship, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have known what to do. I can't imagine what that what the heck that's like. What is that like? <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes when I talk to both male and female and they hear the story, their faces like just really go blank and you see the fear and then they share with you. They're like, oh, my God, if that happened in one of my relationships, things I regret saying or doing. Uh, and somebody put that out there, I would be devastated. Yeah. So I think we all at one point in time can relate to, you know, the pain there. And again, it does not condone my, my, you know, my drinking or anything that Christy and I went through. In fact, you know, it tears in my heart because I loved her very much. And we both, when we were married, were struggling with understanding addiction. Well, you know, she's got it on her side of the family. I have it on my side of the family. It runs through there. But we would go to doctors and, you know, Pete would be like, okay, well, Rob, we'll put you on Prozac. This will help. I mean, we were just lost. And we didn't want anybody to know about it. I mean, specifically, I didn't want to. I would have to ask Christy, you know, herself whether, you know, I think obviously she wanted to keep it too. But, you know, people knew and, you know, saw me out or they knew, you know, obviously I enjoyed to drink and, and blow off steam that way. But, um, you know, AA just wasn't, you know, other opportunities weren't part of, the option at that time and you know it's too bad well i tell people i got the gift of desperation dude you know and and literally that's what happened for me i didn't you know i leveraged every last thing i had against getting sober i used to say i, I you know i leveraged everything i had and then i ran out of nickels dude i ran out of money you know like i had nothing left um <laughs> sure. and it's true and then so you find yourself now you're on this run when you find out about the book you get an advanced copy of it and she's, this is a time, by the way, and I'm familiar with this just because I was kind of dialed into the whole scene. Everybody on the HLN network is kind of doing their own thing. Like Nancy Grace is writing a book about what's going on with her. And uh, what's, what's the, uh, there's, there's a couple other people who are writing books, just kind of putting it out there, which is all good, right? It's all their, their, their things about their experience in life. But so then your ex-wife writes one and you're the primary focus and she ends up on Dr. Drew. Uh, you know, right. on HLN talking about her story and just take us through that night. Well, I mean, she ended up on Dr. Drew. She ended up on other HLN shows, you know, as well too. And, um, 
you are right. There are a lot of people at that time following it. Robin Mead is her best friend was in our wedding. Robin wrote a book about how she Morning uh, Express. What's that? The Morning Express, right? Robin Mead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's a, as you know, it's a small, you know, business. And uh, Robin, you know, wrote about how she, um, you know, found her way through panic attacks when she was working as a news anchor in Chicago and the things that she had to go through. And listen, you know, I, I think there's probably pressure to maybe write a book or do those things. And you'd have to ask Christy, you know, the rest of, you know, why she do that. But, you know, when it goes, Dr. Drew was probably right about toward the end of when I just couldn't handle it. And uh, I had a lawyer. We had uh, really been clear to CNN that uh, you better be careful with the information here. From what I've seen, uh, some things are factual. Other things are not. You've never reached out to us. Uh, what is going on? What is the purpose of this? And uh, so it was a few months later. I thought it was pretty much gone away. And then I got a text that uh, there was a promo for it. So I went home that night and I watched it. And of course I drank and uh, it was extremely uh, painful because for the first time in her interviews that I heard, I heard <laughs> ironically what I needed to hear probably a long distance intervention that was, pointing to really the root cause of all of it, addiction. And I couldn't hear it at the time. I was just angry and mad. And um, I just, you know, I couldn't hear it. But when I go back and I think about it and I hear what Dr. Trudeau said, is he said, you know, he interrupted Christy and said, wait a second here. Everything that you're saying is the guy is an alcoholic and I feel bad for him. And he at this time, at this time, nobody knows who the guy is, quote unquote. I mean, but people can figure it out, right? Yeah, and there were some there were some writings about it uh, here and there, and some of our tracing, um, you know, uh, TV spy or you know whatever. There there were some you know here and there, and I was getting you know hate mail and, and getting some stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't come until the night of the Apple Store where I gave the media, who you know I learned later were doing you know background stories and preparing things that I gave them every reason to go ahead and uh, write publish. Uh, broadcast those stories because now that person you could see the verbally abusive you know person that christy christy you know describes in her book and you literally see it i mean you it's on tape uh you know outside the apple store so what happens leading up to that leading up to the uh to the apple store is i just ran out of uh, booze at home i in milwaukee uh, they don't serve they don't sell anymore i lived in a place that um you know, has a, a, a steakhouse. It was everything you could walk to Trader Joe's, but they don't sell it. But there was a bar there, Bar Louie, and I figured I just need to get a few drinks, have a couple drinks, go to bed, pass out, and I'll, you know, survive again for tomorrow. But when I got there, it was, I was so, you know, I guess I don't drink about my problems. I drank Adam. Yeah. And that night I started with, I think it was like two Jaeger bombers, three glasses or four glasses of wine, a couple more Jaeger shots. And then I figured, well, that'll be enough to get me home. And hey, hold on. You're, you're the news guy. Anybody notice <laughs> the news guy getting completely wasted? Uh. <laughs> it's a great, you know, it's a great question. You know, I, I tipped well. They knew me there. But they did know, Pete, that there was something wrong. And the bartender, I remember she saying, like, are you okay, Rob, tonight? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And I'm just in my own. And I did call a friend of mine who, you know, lived uh, below me a couple floors and he's like, stay there. You don't need to be there. I'll come up and get you. And, you know, we'll just walk back. This is only 500 feet. And, uh, I figured I had it all planned, you know, no driving, no nothing, just use my finger, 
hit the elevator and I'll pass out. And then that's the only operation is the fingers in the elevator. All right. Yeah. And I couldn't do that. I mean, I couldn't even run, you know, to try to get into my place to avoid, you know, uh, what started first as the, um, security guards and then, uh, the real police. (laughs) (laughs) And then the real police show up and it's all caught on camera. I mean, it's a wild scene and, you know, you're mouthing off to the police. It's stuff that drunk people do when when they have drinking problems and they're out in public. It's nothing. Uh, you don't go. To, you go to a twelve step meeting, an AA meeting. You hear that. <laughs> you know, you're going to yeah. hear stories like that, which is good because one, it's people sharing their experience, strength, and hope, and putting it out there for other people to identify with. That's why it's important that a guy like you is able to tell this story. Today, nobody was, you know, look, man, I mean, people were hurt, right? I'm sure your family was hurt, but, um, and people close to you from this being so public, but nobody was hurt and your life got completely, you know, shot in the right direction because of it. What, what, what happens that, you know, you get arrested for drunk and disorderly, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, it was, um, disorderly conduct and, uh, what was the other one? I think it was, uh, resisting arrest, um, and, uh. You know, so they, they took me in and they booked me, and that's where um, they had a booking video. And, uh, you know, I should have known that for crying out loud, um, you know, and recorded all of it. And that's really where it showed me mouthing off to the cops, you know, and you had, you know, video evidence of it. I could see myself later on, you know, when I was sober to see, you know, what drugs and alcohol did to me. So at that point, you know, they're like, hey, we're going to just, we're going to book you, uh, let you go, uh, release you to your friend. And, uh, you know, you'll, you'll face the rest of this stuff. If I would have shut up and exercised my right to remain silent, uh, I would have been in and out of there a lot faster than the 52 minutes that, you know, I aggravated the cops and was a true asshole. Well, well you were an alcoholic. Let's be real. I mean, we do have consequences for, for our actions, right? But you were, you were, you were drunk and being, and being a complete jerk, and uh, you end up all over the place. I mean, what is that next morning like? Well, the next morning was brutal because um, I I woke up and my throat was really, really dry. At this point, there's so much drinking. I was dehydrated that I was sort of used to that, but it was really painful. I could hardly swallow. And I got up. You know, it was just going to be another day to go to work. I'm probably not going to be feeling so great when I go in there. And I go into the bathroom and I look in the mirror and I see some cuts on my face. And then it starts coming back to me. I'm like, well, wait a second. And, I'm, and my body hurts. And I'm like, uh-oh. This was not, and then it started coming back to me. Now that I remember that uh, arguing with the police officers, uh, putting my phone back in my pocket, they went to cuff me. We fell over uh, onto the ground, and that's why I'm sore. And then I immediately called my friend below, and I'm like, I'm screwed. It's over. You know, and he's like, calm down, calm down. You know, everything's going to be okay. You know, you've got to, we've got to talk about this. And, uh, you know, I went into work with that, you know, fear of like, you know, what's going on. And then, you know, people would ask, Hey, what happened? Did you, what happened? You cut your face. What, what happened? How long till everybody found out about it? How long are you waiting for the other shoe to drop? It was like three weeks, man. That was hard. Like three weeks. Are you drinking that whole time? That whole time? Yeah. I had cut back a little bit, but, uh, I remember being at the doctor and, you know, as you know, that far along in my drinking career, you have high blood pressure, hypertension, you've gained the weight, you're unhealthy. And the doctor was, you know, lecturing me right when the station called. And I knew at that point, and uh, you know, it was my big boss calling and I listened to the message and the doctor's like, what's going on? Why aren't you listening? And I said, I got other things to think about. And when I went into the fiction, 
you know, they wanted to sit down and talk to me. And, you know, at that point, you know, I knew they were aware that Christie's book, you know, had come out. I had talked to them about that. I'd shared, you know, that it was difficult and we thought we were sort of through the whole, the whole thing. And, uh, it wasn't, it, it was far from it. Well, so was there a relief that you felt when you, when you got there or was, would you, you ended up resigning. Um, and after that, do you go right to treatment? What, what, what happens next? And what's that encounter like, you know, take us in there with, with your executives, your, your boss was a news director in there, I, I guess, and maybe HR. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, so I, you know, I worked in uh, Milwaukee, so that is also where for journal broadcast group that is also where the corporate headquarters are right so what, what's what's the broadcast group it was journal broadcast group at the time gotcha yeah. okay so and that's their headquarters that was the flagship station i had been promoted from uh fort myers so if you couldn't find any other big head you know uh newswig you know head person in that town i did so when i came in uh i went to um, in my boss's office and uh it was it, it was a heartfelt meeting in a sense that uh, they're like what he talked to me and I, I really looked up to him. You know, they, they gave me all these great opportunities, built the investigative unit around me. And uh, he's like, you know, what happened? And I started telling him and uh, he's like, and you thought this was never going to come public. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you, we could try to help you. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, you know, I gave you everything. I gave you the keys to this station and you know, this is what happened. And, uh, and I said, I'm sorry. And he said, I'm not sure you really are. And he was just mad. Sure. You know? uh, and he wanted to try to help and figure it out. He's like, just go back to your office, work on the story you're doing right now. And I'll talk to you later. But you know, I'm old enough and, and wise enough in some aspects. I went back to my desk and I'm like, well, if this were a fire drill, what would you take? Um, if you ain't ever coming back yeah. because, you know, I'm like, okay, this is just when external hard drives were coming out. You know, I'm like, better grab that, better grab this, better take that thing, get the university of Florida Gator, um, you know, flag right there because this is probably it. So then I get a phone call sitting at my desk and he's like, you know, why don't you just work from home? And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. And, uh, so I grabbed the stuff and that would be the last time that I would be in the station. But then it got really tough because, and I put my coworkers, I put our legal counsel in, in a really unfortunate position because they didn't want to have to report that story, you know. And, and then as, you know, news ethics and judgment come in there, it's not a story that I need to be involved in, right, maybe for a response. But I knew nothing. And in this business, you know, you've been around long enough that uh, I was sitting at home and I had a text from one of the producers. is like, what's going on with you? Call me. And, you know, I just left, let it go. And he's like, why are you in my show, you know? Oh, and, yeah. uh, and then I start noticing like social media, the uh, station accounts, they're disappearing. Right. You know, with my, with my, um, uh, face and, you know, profiles or whatever it is. And uh, I had talked to a good friend during this time and, uh, I watched them, you know, at home, um, you know, air the story of what happened. And I felt bad for the main anchor and I felt bad for the writers. I felt bad for my bosses. You know, they had a job to do and they had to do it and, uh, it didn't bring them any pleasure. Yeah, you know, and uh, so that was something that again, you know, talk about the wreckage of the past. You know that that was really hard. Yes, extremely hard for me to watch. Extremely hard. My friend was with me. You know, to hear that you know he was arrested, arrested urinating at the Apple Store. This came right after a Green Bay Packers game, so the ratings were high. The eyes were all on there. I found out later they were talking about it. You know, so it was now out, and uh, 
I had to think about what my next move was. And, um, and this, you know, is sub- this is I, September of 2012. Yep, 2012. So what is your next move? Well, the next move is after talking a couple of times is uh, I had to, you know, I felt I had to resign. Um, I should have, in hindsight, I, you know, it really put me in a tough position. I had no medical insurance then. I would have, you know, none of those uh, type things instead of asking. Later on, I had talked to our um, uh, legal counsel, and she's like, we didn't know what we were going to do with you. And then you resigned. And uh, so the next day I, I, I typed an email and left a message and I got a call from the assistant to my boss. He's like, he'd really, or she, he'd really like to just meet you. And we met at a Starbucks parking lot and um, it was a beautiful Milwaukee day, sunny. It was actually warm. I brought my cell phone, my badge, and, you know, he sat down and he talked and he said, you know, I, I, I'm heartbroken. Is this all because of Christy, you know, or whatever? And he's and then he just shook his head and he's like uh, he's like it's 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 heartbreaking. And that yeah. was the end. Oh, and it, and listen, Christy may have been a catalyst, but I can't blame everything on that. They could have pushed me over the edge, but the true the true evil was the the booze and you know uh, and drugs. Hey, they, they like him or not, Doctor Drew had it right. Yeah, and and that's it. Yeah. I mean, if you talk to somebody who's familiar with alcoholism and you they're sharing something with you, a, a person is, or you know about a abusive relationship, verbal, whatever. And, the, and you were talking about a, a person who's in taking a lot of alcohol or substance. It's clear that that's the issue. And guess what? If somebody is an alcoholic and they're sober and they're not filling that void with what they need to fill it with, they can be the same way. Um, you yeah. know, and that's the issue for us. Um, you know, getting sober is incredible, but you've still got to fill that hole. Uh, yeah. And you've got to learn how to cope with all these things that used to happen um, and that we would drink, we would drink over, uh, you know, before we get into your recovery, I want to go, go back. You remind me a lot of myself when I hear your story, you grow up, you start to drink and it, and, and, you know, you, you said something that resonates with me. It gives you the ability to talk, talk to girls, you know, it gives mm-hmm. you that confidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, it did. I mean, early on, you know, I think that, you know, booze, Oh, you know, it, it, it works so well until it doesn't work anymore. And for me, you know, I was always shy. Um, uh, it was hard for me to ask women out. Um, I mean, Chrissy and I's first kiss is no shocker that um, I had just been, she was in the car with me visiting me and my parents in Ann Arbor. And we were coming home from a bar and we got pulled over and uh, the guy wanted me to come out. It was actually on my birthday. He wanted me to do a, a field sobriety test. Like and, a DUI uh, checkpoint? At a DUI checkpoint, he, he had like pulled me over. He was going the opposite way. I was speeding and, um, we were out on my birthday and we hadn't started really fully dating yet. And, uh, the cop walks up to the window and he's like, have you been drinking? Remember this is back in the days where you had a stamp, you know, on your hand and you had like, you know, whatever that from you the were bar? Made. Yeah. From <laughs> a bar. And I said, no, you know, and then Christy says, uh, he's only had a couple. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know. Like, you don't say that. And so he's like, can you step out of the car? And it was like 22 degrees and a wind chill out there. It was horrible. And he's like, I think you've been drinking. I'd like you to do some field sobriety tests, but you don't have to. So I'm like, oh, great. Then I'll pass. And he's like, okay, then I arrest you. And I'm like, oh. So at this stage, I did the field sobriety test. I passed. The guy goes, do you have any questions? You know, and I said, well, I was speeding you to give me a ticket. And he's like, nope, that's not what I'm looking for tonight. So I go back into the car and the 
cherries, the red and blue lights are still popping behind us. And I lean forward. Chris is like, what happened? I'm like, I, you know, I, I, it's all fine. And I said, I've been waiting to do this for a while. And I kissed her. You know, what a romantic, you know, <laughs> the bed is the like, foreshadowing of like, Hey, maybe there's a problem here. Yeah. Know? With the berries and, and uh, cherries in the background. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what a, what a great first kiss, right? Jeez, oh, geez. I, I look back now, you know, half my life later, 25, 26 years later. And I, and I cringe, you know, yeah, I just, you know, I, I feel for it, but we were young, you know, we were young. And that relationship, does it move quickly? Is there a lot of drinking involved? You, you are both, you meet her in West Virginia where you're both working at, you, you know, an entry level station, uh, yeah. in, 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 into the, into the business. Uh, was there a lot of drinking and partying uh, around those days of your life? Sure. I mean, there was no secret that for me, that was my first job out of the university of Florida. And for Christy, uh, she'd been trying for quite a while to get into news, but uh, didn't have, wasn't able to. So she was working at the convention uh, center uh, in Cleveland. So this was her first news job. We're all there in a town that we really don't know. And I'm continuing, you know, enjoying partying, you know, partying with Christy and, you know, our coworkers as well, too. So yeah, that was never, you know, I don't think there was ever a uh, secret in that. And I think she's ready to say that, you know, it was something I thought, you know, he would grow out of. But as you and I both know, if you're an alcoholic, you're not growing out of anything. Yeah, it's funny. And, and you'll be in relationships with people and they'll, people listening to this might be going through this themselves. You know, somebody who isn't an alcoholic, you're dating somebody with the drinking issue. And it's like, oh, well, they'll, you know, the like the honeymoon phase is over. Maybe he'll stop drinking. And we'll stop going out every night. Like, that's not how it works for an alcoholic. Like, there's no slowing down. No. And like, you know, we were saying earlier, you know, it works so well until it doesn't work anymore. And I, here's the other flip side is, you know, I think you're always the funniest person to everybody else, but your significant other when you're drinking. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, people saw that and, um, it, when, when Christy and I moved to Boise, um, I got a job in Boise and, and you, uh, by the way, you, you moved to Boise before it was cool to be in Boise. I mean, you, you were, you, you planted the flag there. I've spent a lot of time in Boise and now it's like, they don't want anybody else to know how cool it is. Now you, when you were there, it was still, it was just a really cold place and it was kind of an up and coming city, I guess. It's such a freaking cool city. Still is uh blue turf, uh, you know, Boise yeah. state university. I know you follow all. And, uh, Christy and I, I mean, it was such a great place and the station, um, you know, they had, uh, back then, this was 95, 96, it was the 96, you know, we started nonlinear editing, you know, uh, it, it was, it was amazing, uh, all the tools and everything. So it was the best station to go to. It was, it, it was a great place to be, but you know, there were some challenges. I was, you know, I was young, uh, the boss I had, it was really uh, vindictive, uh, and it took, a, it took tolls. And again, I'm using alcohol. You know, I wanted Christy to have a good life. We were getting married. I felt the pressure of all that. And I couldn't talk to her about any of those things, right? You yeah. Know? And she would ask. And we didn't have the communication. I felt I couldn't share those fears with her, even though, you know, we ended up working together there as well. And she saw some of the abuse that I was taking from the people at the station. But, you know, I didn't share that necessarily. You know, breaking the seal and finding your ability to go through those layers is hard enough when you're young, but when you're drunk yeah. uh, on top of it, you're an alcoholic. So you, you're just not developing any kind of 
skills as far as interpersonal yeah. communication and the ability to be vulnerable. There's none of that. That's that's what I experienced. I had none of that because anytime anything stressful came along, I was going to get drunk and I wanted people to think that I was a quote unquote man. So I wasn't going to talk about it because that's not what we did. Yeah. And, you know, Pete, that's really good. And it makes me think looking back now on so many years ago that sometimes I would come back and say, you know, in fear that she would be leaving me, you're just going to leave me like the rest of them or whatever it would be. Yeah. It was also for me, I look at it as a way of defense that she was trying to help me. She was trying to get me to communicate and I didn't know how to. And that any closer that she got to me, I pushed back even further, you know, and I see that now, you know, in my recovery that still I'm mindful of, you know, trusting people and, and, and doing those things. So, you know, I look back and, you know, I hadn't really thought of it like that. She tried to communicate and I couldn't. And you're, you're from a pretty good family, a, a, a great family, oh, right? Yeah. You're, you're from, yeah. are you from Ann Arbor? Not originally. Um, Gross Point was originally where Gross okay. Point, Michigan was originally a lot of the family. And then uh, we moved around a lot. We moved out here to L.A. or outside of L.A. And then, you know, we lived in New Jersey and close-knit family, you know, uh, similar to, you know, to Christie's as well. And uh, it just is, is a perfect example of, you know, and a good childhood, perfect example of just what booze and drugs doesn't discriminate. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just that's, you know, I, I think you're, you know, similar background. Yeah. It's just at one point in time, all I can say is that I found this magic elixir that allowed me the, the opportunity to ask women out, to be, you know, charming, to smile or, you know, try to go and, you know, have that first kiss because all that anxiety for me, I couldn't do on my own. Yeah. And, and the drinking just continues, right? Like through all that, which is, so you keep needing you know, you need to drink to do that again. You know, there's a first kiss with this woman and now we got to drink before the first kiss with the next woman. It's just, for me, it was that, it was that vicious cycle. Now she writes this book and it talks about, you know, this is, I don't know how many years after when the book comes out, but it talks about the relationship that we're talking about now. Um, and she talks about the verbal abuse. What was like the worst thing in there that really, that, that, that got you like, whoa, you know, like just hit you, kicked you in the nuts. Well, you know, she wrote the book 12 years later, you know, and obviously that gives you an indication, you know, of some of the work that she had to go through. Right. So when we got divorced and she left me and we got divorced, I left her with a ton of stuff to shift through, you know, and to work through on her own. Horrible feeling. I think that the biggest things, you know, in the book that the things that were, were correct, I think is the disappointment. I think is that, you know, learning maybe 12 years later that, wait, she was really trying to help me why weren't we saying this? Or maybe I wasn't hearing it or, Oh, that's right. She did stop drinking when I stopped to try to support me, but we never had a conversation about that. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't talk about, you know, in marriage counseling, this is supposed to be a safe place to be only to end up in a book later. I think that's difficult. Yeah. You know? Um, and uh, you know, uh, the days were, you know, when I came home and I, and I screamed at her, you know, I, I now have to, you know, look at the other side of, of what that was like, you know, for her and, um, and the things that I said and how hurtful they were to her. And all she really wanted to do was love me and show that, you know, love is real and, and the things. And I do believe that, but my mind was so diseased and sick at the time. I couldn't comprehend that. Then why would she love me? Right? Because there's no self-esteem. Yeah. I, I, I've shared this before. I felt like, 
you know, I, I outkicked the coverage when I was drinking with my significant others, and I'm certainly outkicking it now. And, you know, with the woman I'm with now, but I, a lot of early on, I used booze and drugs as the way to build confidence. You know, I would, I would be like, I cannot be with this person. I cannot be with this person. Like, I'm not good enough. You know, now I, I use the program and, 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 and reality and, you know, like the things that we, the spirituality and the connection and the camaraderie we share in the rooms, that gives me the self-esteem now that alcohol yeah. and drugs used to give me. Uh, yeah. and, and it's just, it's such an interesting situation because I thought I was going to be lost without it. And it turns out that, you know, to, to be as cliche as possible, I'm totally found or I've found it. Um, yeah. And the, the happiness that comes with that, but it takes time. Oh dude, it does. It, it takes a while, uh, like a long time, <laughs> like yeah. a long time. You know, I did not have many successful relationships or, or, you know, in sobriety when I first started out. Cause you know, you're just, you're just finding your footing I, for, for you though. when you break up and we're about to get into the recovery, but you know, I, I, I read this about you. This is like real epic breakup stuff. Cause you break up, you get divorced and then you still work at the same station with this woman. <laughs> a lot of people never mention that, but for the next two and a half years, we worked together at three TV in Phoenix. And I knew. So you, so you guys, so you guys are both working at the same station in Phoenix. Yep. And Christy at that time, you know, she was still trying to be my friend. This isn't talked about a lot. You know, she was, you know, she always wanted to still be liked and, you know, she wanted a friendship and she would come over and stand over by my desk, like to start wanting, you know, conversation or something only to be met with a stream of swing, uh, swear words from me, you know, which was not great. But I wanted to be clear as I wasn't looking for any kind of a friendship from her. Yeah. Nobody saw this. Were you, know, you heart were you heartbroken? Yeah, I you know, I was I was heartbroken. I was I mean it, I was heartbroken probably maybe, you know, ego too. There you are sure. now working in the newsroom. But one of the things that was so difficult is that we were, you know, uh, we had just, you know, we were looking we were bidding this is how quickly that happened. We were bidding on a house and talking about starting a family and then you know, we have a fight and Christy, you know, finds a guy in Chicago that, you know, she has met, you know, via Robin, you know, one of the, her friends. And while maybe nothing physical happens, that's the point where she goes, Hey, there's something maybe better out there. Uh-huh. And I saw this coming, right. And, uh, you know, then as the divorce, you know, it wasn't long, we were separated. The divorce started happening. I knew that I would have a front row seat to Christy getting remarried, buying a house, starting a family. And I would be there to see that. And I think that's an extremely hard thing to watch and be aware of. And then you're both two local people on TV. So, um, you know, that's the case, you know. But again, I went out. I handled it with getting drunk, having other relationships, just making a continued wreckage, the arrest, the cops that took care of me because they felt bad for the situation. I mean, it was just (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing, too. You you have – for somebody who, and this is the alcoholic, right? Like egomaniac with an inferiority complex. And you're also entitled. You talk about the fact that you keep having run-ins with the police, but you're not getting, I mean, you had consequences when you were younger. I guess you had a couple DUIs and which is a big deal for <laughs> members of the human race, but not for active alcoholics. Um, no. You know, a couple of DUIs. Okay. But you know, this is all, all this stuff's happening. Um, and then the, the roof caves in right with the incident in Milwaukee. And by the way, you're an Emmy 
winning investigative reporter. Your work is impeccable. And, you know, it, well, it is. And it's and it, and it speaks for itself. And not to take anything away from people in the news industry uh, today. But look, man, when when you were humming, uh, it was it was a really big deal to be a successful investigative journalist on, on a on a local level in a, in a bigger city like Milwaukee. You are really an agent of change. And, you know, you were you were you were doing some some great work, but then you lose it all. We'll get back to this conversation in a second, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Everything is lost, right? Oh yeah. I mean, not just the. I mean, it was the career. It was, it it, it was everything. And you know, you talk about the success, and thank you very much. But I'm an I'm an alcoholic. I don't see that, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know how I was doing or what was happening because I'm so insecure and such a mess that you know nothing's never going to be enough. But yes. What you see in Milwaukee and what happens is somebody who loses everything but their life. And that was going to be the next step. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 for, for me, I'm very lucky that I hit bottom with, without dying uh, because I, I crawled into rehab and my whole life changed. You crawl into rehab and you, you had the longer term model, too. You said you thought you were going for 28 days, but you ended up going for 90, right? Yeah, yeah. And I heard that, you know, you had a similar experience that, listen, that this was right like when things were changing in treatment where they really realized that 28 days is like putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. You know, yeah. you can stabilize somebody in that, right? Maybe. And that's vital, but nothing else. So my family had talked about it, and they're like, look at you know, you need to stay for the 90 days and really take this seriously. Other than that, you know, we're gone you know, and, um, we'll love you. We'll pray for you, but that's it. And, you know, I, I was always nice to the people there, but I was not happy about that situation. And I was extremely angry with Christy and those resentments, you know, could really, um, you know, put me back out again. So, so you, yeah, exactly. Right. You're not ready to go out, um, into the, into the open world because you're a guy that's packing heat with these resentments and you're just like, I was the same way with some other stuff. Like I just wasn't ready. So you, where'd you go, by the way? I went to um, so my uh, I went down to Greensboro, North Carolina. Okay, it was in between, yeah, it was in between you know Florida where my family is and Charlotte, and um, so I went to Fellowship Hall there, and I found it online. I, I didn't even realize it was a non for profit, and it was a good place. And they started working with me, and even at the end, though, Pete, you know, one of the things I remember the doctor said, you know, is like, you know, hey, have you prayed? You know, they would ask me all the time, have you prayed for your ex-wife? You know, and I just said, no, 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 ignored. And finally, I got so pissed off, I, I told them, yeah, I prayed. They're like, you prayed? And I said, yeah, I prayed that the bus would hit her and be quick. And they <laughs> laughed because they knew my sense of humor. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And they said, well, I guess it's a start. But what they said to me, you know, aside from that, they looked at me in the eyes, and I didn't fully understand this then, I would later, uh, is that they're like, Rob, it's about the only thing we really worry about with you is the resentments. You don't understand if you can't work through that, how much in danger of your own sobriety of losing that you are. Yeah. And they were right. And I was so lucky, you know, uh, I, I got to the point when I was in Charlotte three years sober and I was sort of lost and I'm like, man. So after you go, so, so after you go, after you real, I want to back a little bit. So you go, you go to rehab in Greensboro and then do you go to the extended care place? 
Yeah, well, that was all part of okay. uh, treatment. So we were still under that. And then after I was released, uh, discharged uh, from from Fellowship Hall, I went to a sober living or, you know, back then halfway house, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, sure, sure. And I was not happy about that shit either, <laughs> you know. So and after ni- after you did 90 days in Fellowship Hall, you went to a sober living? Yep, I went to sober living, and it was a, it was a not – I mean, it was, it was okay. Yeah. Uh, it was there in Greensboro, but this time I was going to do – what they told me to do was a hundred dollars a week. It was something that I could afford. And I start, you know, like picking up the pieces. I still had the support of where I went to treatment, the people I was around, the meetings and stuff. So what's happening for you, by the way, like during all that, what's that, what's, what's happening like for you? Like, you know, you're going to meetings Is your, is everything changing for you? Slowly. I I mean, the, the biggest change that I remember that accepting where I could start working with that shame and guilt was that this is a disease and the things that I said or, or, or did didn't really have an explanation. It's just part of the disease. My mind clicked with that. I could accept it and take away some of the guilt and shame and then start working through the rest of it. So um, that started to help. I didn't really connect well with a lot of, it was a small town um, and it could have just been me, but I didn't feel them very friendly and warm. I didn't need a red carpet rolled out. But I found some of them were just a bunch of, you know, sober old assholes. And uh, I'm like, I'm going to have to keep finding my way. And it was extremely difficult to find any kind of employment because of Google. And uh, I had to start, you know, looking at alternatives, looking at things to do. How am I going to survive? And, you know, that's the fear of financial insecurity, everything that we deal with that, you know, I had to start going through. Uh, But I was in a safer environment. At least I was familiar with some people there, you know. Yeah. And, and so you ended up in Charlotte and that's, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm too interested here. I keep jumping in and cutting you off. So you end up in Charlotte. No, no, I'm glad you did. Yeah. And you're in Charlotte and did you work for the Charlotte Knights? I did. And that was so in Greensboro. Um, I worked for the uh, Greensboro Grasshoppers. I ran a camera on the field. I got paid 40 bucks a game. That was one source of uh, revenue. And then um, somebody had introduced me to a casting director who did uh, extra background work, and I worked on a bunch of shows in Wilmington, made some money that way, and I was finding other jobs. And uh, finally, uh, like my real job that I had was uh, corporate sponsorship sh- sales for the Charlotte Knights, right next to the uh, where the Hornets play. Yeah, you know, so were they were they in Fort Mill still when you were there? They had just no, I so that stadium would have been a year would have been a year old i was there in the second season oh that's cool so you got to the brand new place downtown in charlotte oh, yeah i mean i mean if you're going to get a job in minor league baseball <laughs> i mean at a stadium that seats ten thousand or you know twelve thousand that's constantly ranked number one in the heart of uptown in charlotte yeah that's a dream come true man <laughs> uh, well, yeah man that is a, that i mean that's that stadium is unreal so you're you're there working there but you're still kind of not getting and you said, by the way, earlier, just to go back, um, you said you realized something when you were in Charlotte. What was it that you realized? Well, at that point, I was three years sober, and uh, I was so thankful. I mean, it was such – they were good people to give me this opportunity, and it's a funny story. The first team meeting that we had, it was my first day there, and the GM and my boss, they called me in after this meeting. They introduced me, and I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to be fired. I can't <laughs> believe it. They know something. They closed the door, and I'm like, it's going to be less than 12 hours. And I'll never forget, you know, Scott, he's a good guy. And they sat down, they said, Rob, we know all about what you've been through. And we know there's two sides and we want to be here and supportive of you. 
and it's okay with us and that you're going to fit in great here at, you know, in minor league baseball. And I was like, what a nice thing to say, only to realize later that everybody loves to drink in minor league baseball. Everybody's an alcoholic practically in minor <laughs> league baseball, partying, having a great time. That night, it was the uh, the team's uh, Christmas party, and one of their bosses came up and said, I just got to be honest, too. You know, we are really honest and great to have you here, but I love your ex-wife. She's <laughs> one of my favorites. In it, you know? And I laughed about it, Pete. You yeah. know, and I laughed. And I'll never forget when I when – I, it, it was a humbling experience. They taught me so much. I've always loved baseball. I wanted an experience like this. But don't forget, when I did corporate sponsorship deals, I handed out the programs at the start of a game. Oh, yeah. I pulled the tarp. I ran the damn races dressed, you know, as the hot dog or whatever it was. <laughs> Forty-some-odd years old. <laughs> and, you know, I, we would, we would, we'd all be laughing. It was brutal. Yeah. And I... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's my my story, too. I ended up working at a KFC, um, you know, just waiting for those long drive through lines. Oh, God, they just lasted forever in those cold Baltimore evenings. You know, I was like, this is never going to end. Uh, but, you know, you're you're doing your thing. You're sober. You're in Charlotte. It's three and a half years. Are you are you getting to meetings at all? You said when you were in, you weren't. OK, so you're you're kind of no. like a dry drunk when you're in North Carolina. I, you know, I, I think, you know, I was grateful. I was learning different things. I was frustrated. Well, don't, um, don't let me put words in your mouth. If you weren't a, you, yeah, you no, weren't no, a dry no. drunk, you weren't a dry drunk, but you weren't going to AA meetings. No, I wasn't going to AA meetings, and I didn't really push in that town, you know, for it. Sometimes I wish I had more, um, but then I guess everything happens for a reason. I sure. just, I realized that the season, you know, was going on, and there were some, there were some really challenging, you know, uh, situations happening at that time with the Knights and uh what was the what was I the biggest challenge you had there oh the biggest challenge was uh I was okay with Thirsty Thursdays right yeah. <laughs> you know working in the ballpark walking around when we have games but we had uh you know a boss that uh was an active alcoholic and uh he was verbally abusive and I felt the guilt and shame to fully understand what Christie would go through huh. with me yeah. Okay. And uh, so I went to bed one night, man, and I was like, you know, this is probably when you, when you want to talk about having a spiritual awakening. I went to bed and I would pray, and you know, I'm a spiritual person, not a religious person, but I went and I said, Hey, God, you see what's going on here? This is a fucking, excuse my French, shit show. And you know, if this is where I'm supposed to be, then this is where I'm supposed to be. I'll trust you. If not, then get me the hell out of here. And I'm not kidding you. With three to four days, I had a phone call from Los Angeles, from Hollywood, and it was a uh, director and a casting director that was interested in my story. They wanted the story, but they wanted to then provide me, in exchange for that, the world's best life coaches, to help me get my life back on track. For like a reality show? Uh, it was a, a documentary feature film. Okay. You know, and they would give me the world's best life coaches uh, to do whatever I you know, really wanted to do, and at that point in time I had been trying to get into a job and work in treatment and I thought about it and I thought about it I mean it meant you know you know everything and then I made the mistake of saying to them I think was like well maybe I'd move out there and they're like you know in this business raise stakes raise stakes bigger stakes you have bigger story and they're like yeah why don't you move out here that's what really what we want and I'm like you want me to move 2,000 miles away with no job shoot a movie with a bunch of coaches who I do respect and I know their names and um You'll put me up for two months in Santa Monica, and I have no job. And <laughs> just saying, you—I'm guessing you said yes, right? I did. <laughs> you know what it was? 
It was the final night of a tarp pull after like five times. A tarp pull. Like, well, oh, okay, so it was like rain delays? <laughs> rain delays, pulling the tarp on, pulling it off. I went back to my desk. I lifted up the blotter, pulled out the contract, signed that damn thing, faxed it over there, sold all of my 1977 Star Wars Kenner action toys, uh, sold my Emmy Awards. You sold your Emmy Awards. For, for, for how much did you sell them for? $4,000. One went for 4000 I think the other went for three. Who, who, so you get seven grand out of those. Well, yeah, the one I sold earlier, but I think I came out here with about uh, five to $6,000 is all I had. Wow. So you, right. you move out there, and, and what happens? I guess, you know, you kind of had the acting bug, I guess. You caught it when you were in, in Wilmington. I mean, there's a ton of production well, down there. remember. Absolutely, but remember that, and you wouldn't know this, but the reason that the deal that I had cut with the producers and everything is that I want to work in addiction recovery. I didn't want to do anything more with news. I didn't want to do anything, you know, other than that. I enjoyed, you know, working on the sets as a production assistant, standby or a stand-in, you know, whatever. That was fine. It, it did its thing. But my goal was to come out here and work in addiction and recovery, work in a treatment center. And uh, so they, as soon as I got out here, I started meeting with these great coaches, uh, D. Martini, John D. Martini. Um, the film is called Leap, and uh, it's out. It's on Amazon. Leap. Um, okay. Yeah, it's you know I, I should shoot you the link or, or something too, but it shows this journey please, in which please you do. when I get when I get out here, you know I go as far as the roads will take me. Right? You know we're still running three years sober. I'm still running, trying to find that purpose and passion that we talked about earlier. Yeah. I think it's addiction recovery. I get out here. I'm thinking these coaches are going to help me, like work on the resume, work on these things, you know, whatever. Then all of a sudden they start talking bullshit like treatment was. They're like, your problem is you can't forgive your ex-wife. Your problem is you can't dealt with the guilt and shame. You've got to love yourself. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah. This and now I'm like, are you, oh my God, I quit a job. I've got little money. It's the end of Route 66. I'm in Santa Monica. You're here. So I had to start the film shows, and I don't, you know, the film shows a process of what you have to do to overcome those things. And it taught me the gratitude, you know, for, and it made me see that, you know, Christy helped save my life. She gave me a choice. And that choice was whether I stand on the sidewalk in Milwaukee and continue down that road or change my life. Well, it's funny, too. You you mentioned, well, exactly. You mentioned... You're three and a half years, maybe around four years sober when all this is going on and you're, you're shooting this. And it sounds like ultimately it was a positive experience, but it brings you to that revelation. It doesn't happen well, overnight. Well, no, and it's the catalyst. I actually celebrated three years on the set out here. And it was the catalyst because as soon as I started working through these things, you know, uh, doing it, I get this job in treatment. I start working for, because I had a mutual friend, we, I, I met him over in Hollywood Boulevard. We were talking about it. And he's like, we had worked in news business in Fort Myers. And, you know, I'm like, I'm really trying to get into treatment. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm doing this film. And I said, you know, I like this guy, Bob Forrest. And, you know, he's got a treatment. He goes, Bob Forrest, is this? Uh, Bob and the know, Monster, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A, a, a and I said, yeah. And he's like, I got a friend who works there. So he puts me in touch with this. Before I know it, I'm out there meeting them. They're taking me around this place and it's beautiful i mean it's in malibu they're taking me around you know i i love bob's music i met with bob i sat down and talked everything was aligning and i ended up working there for uh six seven months oh that's and unbelievable I, and that really was a catalyst 
you know, piece that helped me find that empathy for others, the, the gratitude, um, meeting some of, you know, my closest friends that are still here today, losing some along the way too. But that's originally why I came out here, you know, and then, you know, I took another job at a different place, and that didn't go so well. I, there's a lot of problems in the treatment business. And, yeah, uh, there are. There are. And you, re, you, <laughs> you, you don't have to dig too deep to, to read about them, especially, you know, that's from what, I, from what I gather. Yes, from what I gather, the recovery community. My brother, Kevin, uh, lives in Hermosa, and he's a, he's a sober guy. And uh, we've been to the, the, uh, the Alan O House down by um, – uh, you know, in, in, in Hermosa, it's awesome. Anyways, the recovery out there from what I've experienced and you live it is, is awesome. But there's some, there's an underbelly, uh, because you're talking about vulnerable people who will maybe spend a lot of money to get friends, children, whoever sober. And you've got vulnerable subjects who you're dealing with all the time, as far as the patients are concerned. So it doesn't shock me to hear you say that. I mean, it's out there. No. And I, you know, being this investigative guy, I'm like, and I went for a non-for-profit and I'm like, oh my God, I made a mistake. And I challenged him on a place. I was fired, and it and it sent me into like this tizzy of like, what do you do now? I mean, mm-hmm. it's Trig- like, triggers all okay. kinds of old stuff, probably, right? Well, it, it triggered old stuff. The fear of financial insecurity. I'm two thousand miles away from family. I have very little money. How well, how am I going to survive? But it's this beautiful journey of like, I'm working a program. I'm learning others. Um, uh, he's a good friend when he's sober. Uh, Andy Dick was a friend, is a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I know it's, it's as bizarre as it comes. So is he, he's like, he's kind of like in and out, right? Oh, he's always in and out. And, yeah. but the Andy I met was two and a half years sober and Andy and I were hanging out. We were talking. He was the first person when I got fired and I was shitting my pants, you know, he was the first person to come up to me and give me a hug and say, I'm sorry. I know that's why you came out here, man. Are you okay? Yeah. And I said, uh, I don't know, but I got an audition tomorrow. Now it's real. And he goes, yeah, it is. You got to put food on the table. You want me to help you? And I said, yeah, if you can. And he started teaching me things and we spent time together. And that's the Andy that I know. And then I, you know, uh, within a year or so, you know, uh, it was very difficult to watch the Andy that I didn't know go back out and, you know, go back into active addiction. Yeah. That's, that's our life, right? I mean, in recovery, by the grace of God, it's not me or you. Um, and yeah. it could be if we don't work it hard enough. That's, that's, you know, that's what it brings up in me. I get scared when I see somebody go out. It's like, and that's why you go to meetings, right? Because uh-huh. you, you see it, ha- you have a front row seat to this. And it's like, oh my gosh, like I, I do not want that to be me because I know how that story ends. The newcomer, and that is just recently has been a, a reminder. And um, I ran into Andy recently and it was sad and uh it was off of hollywood boulevard i was over at the hotel roosevelt shooting something and uh at the end we hugged and uh you know i had to fight back tears because i wasn't sure i'd see him alive again you know and that's the disease whether it's andy dick your brother your sister your girlfriend or whatever it was it was just that friendship that we had and now i'm actually on the other side of it right like alanon thing you know it's so weird that you're on this other side of seeing these things. But uh, so that was the catalyst that changed everything out here for me. So I'm like, well, you know, I, I didn't have interest in TV news anymore. I didn't have uh, those things and I had to start finding my way. So I immediately went down to central casting registered I'm like, shit, this sucks because background work is not easy. It's not glamorous. Background work uh, is just, you're in the background. I mean, it is what it says, right? It 
is what it is. Yeah. There, there, there's different levels. There's different things, and there's a lot of fun, you know. But you get a meal, you get a haircut. You sometimes, you know, depending on what you're working on, uh, craft services. You craft, <laughs> crafty. Yeah, you got craft services, good catering. Uh, you meet people, and you hope that you know. I just had to get money coming in, and then I found a, a, a fellow actor had told me about medical studies. So I'm like, what's that? And he's like, well, you test non-FDA approved drugs. And, and I'm like, oh, that doesn't, he goes, it pays thousands. I go, really? I didn't believe it. I called yeah. the number. He told me to call, went in there for a physical. They paid me a hundred bucks for that. The irony, all my vitals are great. They're like, we want to bring you into the study. So after spending five days in this lab and taking the non-FDA approved drugs, they paid me $5,000. So what kind, of, what kind of drugs are you taking? Well, I mean, these are like for cancer treatment, Alzheimer's, Yeah. Um, you know, all things now, you don't have to have those, but what these medical studies focus on is how does it break down to your body? Is it safe? You know, how, what is the half-life? That's what they're looking for. And they need somebody who's healthy. Yeah. So that became another source of income. Well, I kept any, are, are, are we talking about any controlled substances here, Rob? I got to get that out there. No. Okay. No, 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 no. Absolutely, right. <laughs> absolutely not. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> these are all, you know, you're dealing with Pfizer, you're dealing with uh, Merck, you're dealing with all these kind of things. And that was always a concern of mine yeah, yeah. is that I want to make sure that we're not, because there are, you know, uh, studies where you could dance in those. Yeah, but you, there's an extensive screening part. Well, of you that. know, you yeah. notice the the, the attic. That's all I think about, right? <laughs> that's where I go right <laughs> away, dude. Yeah, yeah. The, the shots, the pills, and everything that they're giving you, the IVs. You know, however they you know give the dosage. It wasn't an ideal thing, but it made me. It allowed me to keep living while I was trying to find a job producing, and uh, I got a job producing for a Facebook watch show inside the madness of Kentucky basketball, and what that was is um it was awesome i mean we followed the team for the year oh, that's um, all aw- that is awesome yeah and and it was i started a, a career in hollywood and you know you, it's a weird job because you work for like five months during the production you rap and my friends all knew other people so they got onto other shows i didn't so you know i had to find another way to keep fighting it and uh i went out and auditioned with 600 people uh to become a universal studios tour guide and uh, I got picked. I had to go through three weeks of training, go through all this stuff. It was hell, but it was also became a job. What what is that? What so what is that like? You show up to the lot uh, every day, and 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 you just cruise right in there, back to like those bungalows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you, you you of course you've been out here in the bungalows. The bungalows. Uh, <laughs> I just uh, I've heard about them. Yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so funny, Keith. You'll have to come out and take my tour. Um, <laughs> The, the training, it's a, it's a union job. It's based on seniority. So they have a big roster. And during the peak time, you're likely to get scheduled. Other than that, you got to call in for a shift. So it's not consistent. But here's the magic. You just said, I now have access to that back lot. Yeah. Okay? So, uh, and there's opportunities that exist out there. Martha De Laurentiis, uh, it's, it's horrible. She just died of brain cancer. Yeah. Uh, but De company, they they hired me to be an intern to learn how to do script coverage. You know, they brought Hannibal to the big and small screen. Um, they're working on a, you know, a, a remake of Firestarter with uh, Blumhouse. Uh, so I've learned all these Hollywood things working in what used to be Alfred Hitchcock's bungalow. Wow. I mean, it, it was just amazing. And then 
through Universal, uh, Impractical Jokers, uh, they came out and sure. they cast me in one of their episodes um, playing a, a character. But Universal, as the studio head at one point in time, you know, told us in the like, small meeting we got to meet with him, and he'd been the longest serving at the time. And he told me, he's like, you work at the world's largest movie studio. Use it. Yeah. And then he said, the other thing is, you know, he said, uh, you know, go out there, find your way. And there's plenty of opportunities. And I've been, you know, very fortunate to try to do that. But, I mean, it is as eclectic as you would imagine. I mean, I'm out there. One, I worked for Warner Brothers, um, their Halloween Horror Night. I was a conjuring maze expert. And uh, that was a tough job. I only lasted like a week and a half. My anxiety was <laughs> off the chart. I couldn't keep performing like that. And then I decided to go do Ford versus Ferrari and be background for that film instead. But, you know, these opportunities in Universal has been a big part of my own childhood and loving that lot. This is where it comes full circle. And this is where it really becomes uh, the beautiful journey. Now, this is very Hollywood journey, but this is just my journey. Yeah. And as a kid growing up out here, I always dreamed of the day I would pull into that lot and my name would be at the gate. The first time it was at the gate, it was for the Steve Harvey show. They had cast me to be a bachelor. <laughs> and I was scared because I realized I hadn't really dated in my sobriety. So how is this going to play and everything? But when I went out there and you sat there and the woman asked the questions and Steve Harvey was there, I gave honest answers. Well, you're and a bachelor. End, I mean, come on. It's a Steve Harvey show. This is real. Yeah. Oh, no, this yeah. is real. You see it. You know, you can, you can see the thing. And you talked about the beautiful part of recovery and something that hit home. It wasn't the fact that she picked me. It was the fact that the answers I gave were honest answers from my heart, you know, and uh, you don't see all the answers. There was talk about, um, uh, you know, really, do you have faith? And I said, no, I don't. I thought Steve Harvey's uh, head was going to explode. Yeah. He's very, you know, and I said, and that was a big problem in my life. And he starts nodding. He's like, okay, okay, this is okay. And then, uh, but the audience at the end of the clip, you'll see she has to pick people and they go through, will it be one, two or three? And we're all sitting out there. You can see each other. And when the audience came to me, they went nuts. <laughs> and it wasn't the fact that I was picked as much as the fact that I looked at myself and I can't fight back tears is that I didn't look at myself as such a big piece of shit anymore. Yeah. And you were honest. You know, for once these people saw I was a good person. Yeah. And, and it was, and, 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 and that gave me the sense of like, maybe you're pretty hard on yourself. And that was my first time on the Universal Studios lot to do a show and to, to come back out there. And, um, you know, the, the first date, I mean, the irony, you know, is that they take us to the commissary. So this place that I loved as a kid has now become a very central part of my own recovery. And my own, you know, rebirth of, you know, finding your way through all this stuff. How how was how was the dating like when you started dating and stuff like that in sobriety? You know, I I, I went back to an old girlfriend a few times. Uh, you know, maybe like a couple years in, and that was not going to work. Um, and it was it wasn't a good situation. I went back because she knew all the stuff. So yeah, the date had been limited and still remains limited. And uh, it's one reason I probably like you know the 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 the, the men's meetings. Um, but it's something that's a reminder that, you know, I have to get out and, and navigate that more. Yeah. I mean, but it, and it is like, I remember talking to just back to what you said when I was in, in a, a halfway house, this woman, what was her name? Karen. She was awesome. She was our therapist. And, uh, 
you know, those people, there's it's such volatile in those, in those houses that, you know, you could have a therapist there for like three weeks and then she's gone. But this one was there the whole time. And I remember asking her, you know, I was talking to her about like my ex-girlfriend and how I wanted to get back together with her and, you know, and she's telling me how that isn't right. And I said, why do people constantly, why do people want to get back together with their exes? And she said, cause it's easy. Yeah. You know, and it really is. I mean, going out and meeting a new person and putting yourself out there, it's just like you said, somebody that knows all the stuff is safe, right? And there's something good about safe. But at the same time, yeah. there's something to be said for in recovery. You know, recovery has allowed me the ability to do things that I used to have to get drunk to muster up the courage to do. Oh, perfect. perfect. Right? I mean, it's true. And that's... You know, it's like, and I still take the shortcuts and I still love the easy shit. Like, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I try not to. I strive to, to have courage. We, uh, there was a woman on here last week, Jean, and uh, she talked about just core values, you know, being honest, being kind, uh, you know, being loyal. And that really hit me right between the eyes. Uh, I, I need to have more of those in my life, you know, just simple, just core values. And I simple and I love that and you know I tell sometimes the newcomers you know it's always easier to go back than it is to go forward even though you know it's wrong yeah because it's what we're used to it's what feels comfortable even though it's wrong what are some of the things you're doing in recovery today uh just you know to, a, to give yourself a, that freedom you know I to, to keep myself sane and, and to keep working toward you know, I found a, a strong support group. It's gotten even stronger during the COVID time. We, we do a lot of Zoom meetings, but um, believe it or not, it's a men's group that we meet at a bar at 7.15 in the morning. <laughs> and uh, yeah, only in Hollywood, man. And uh, these guys have all become so close to me and so supportive and help, you know, each other. And uh, that's huge. Uh, I'm, you know, I work through, you know, trying to find time better to meditate. Uh, my schedule gets crazy between... Uh, auditions and, 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 and balancing this because it's a different life for me. So gig work, you know, there'll be days, you know, yesterday I had a fitting for a big TV show. I got an audition waiting to do for today. Uh, then, you know, for the next four days, I'll have probably nothing. So I need to be mindful of that and, you know, take care of myself, self-care. Yeah, absolutely. What, what uh, like, how is the acting career going? What is that like to walk in there? An audition. I mean, you walk in. What's break that down? Like, what's that look like? It is so freaking bizarre, you know. And okay, you know, I'll give you the talk about the struggles. And I hear a lot of other actors saying this: is that uh, my biggest one was the anxiety. Okay, you know, and I didn't have that for so many years of news. I'd be anxious to get to the meeting or do whatever. I'm not necessarily anxious for a live shot or to anchor, but uh, for there are so many times I couldn't go into the room to audition. So I just set a goal for myself. I'm like, if you can just go in and audition, then shit, you won, whether you get it or not, whether you book that role or not. And once I started doing that, I started booking roles. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, this this can actually work. So, But it's so different. What Here's your environment. you know. So um, I had a commercial audition the other day. My agent set that up. This was in person. And the casting director will probably see on that day alone between 58 to 60 people. You go into this, these nondescript buildings here in Los Angeles. There's people that sign in on a list. You sit on a bench. They come out and get you. You're done in about four minutes. Okay. In each room, there's like 15 different rooms in there. Each is a different project. <laughs> and you go in there, and you're. In, and how long do you wait outside? 
oh, you know, they're pretty good. You know, if, okay. if they're backed up, they'd be waiting, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, too long, you know, 45 minutes or whatever, they get backed up. And then, you know, that's just the first part. So then I get a, uh, what do you call it? I get a uh, callback a call back when I do Zoom. You know, so if it comes to Hollywood, you know, uh, hustle or the shuffle. Hollywood shuffle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know. You end up doing the prices right. I needed a new car. I didn't get the car, but I got a new Apple Book Mac Air with all <laughs> for, for documentary on. You know, I could walk up there and do it. I gave it my shot. Yeah. I mean, these are the strange things that you know. I look back now and I try to remind myself. You know, I'm a SAG after actor now. I got I got my SAG card by uh, being a photo double. The, the last two the vouchers I needed came in for Adam ruins everything. Adam Conover, the uh, the comedian for yeah. his TV show put a, the whole thing that's how i got that and then a scandal i was one of the people they put their face on the board and that gave me my third voucher to do how active and are you like where, where, where can we see you at any any like any stuff coming out i know i know leap is something we'll link that to this podcast i want people to be able to take a look at that yeah you know one that deals strictly with his uh chasing evil i you know um you're not as old as me but chasing robbie evil, robbie knievel yeah robbie knievel and that um well, you know, we were talking about Palestine, or we were texting, and uh, that is a story about him getting sober and the days of us partying and what he went through with evil. I think that's – I'll send you a link. It may not still be on. So you, used to, you used to uh, used to party with him? Where was this? In, in California? Yeah, I covered, I, I covered all of the Fox uh, stunt shows. So back in the day when it started with uh, Shattering the Records in Vegas, then we went to the, uh, the Grand Canyon. Then we went to uh, Palestine, uh, Texas Jump. We did the rooftops. I covered all of those stunt yeah. jumps for uh, the Fox stations and my Fox station as well, too. So Robbie and I, um, we all partied. We all, you know, did all the same things. And then I imploded, and then he started getting sober. And the film deals with his sober jump in Palm Springs and uh, his story of what it is. And I sort of sit in as the person that uh, talks about the challenges he'll face along, you know, the lines of, you know, recovery. Did his dad have addiction problems, too? Huge. Oh, huge. really? All on cricket, you know, and, you know, his mom says in the documentary, you know, they didn't call him evil because he was nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a sad story. Listen, I'll tell you this. It's a sad story. And it's also a story that shines some light on addiction. But um, even the director, you know, he was he was talking to me, and uh, he's a great guy. And he's done one on Richard Pryor, so it's dealt with addiction as well, too. But he's like, well, you know, Robbie, he doesn't have anything besides jumping. What do you expect him to do? Flip burgers? And I said, yeah. 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 <laughs> Whatever it takes, Jesse. Yeah. Whatever it takes. And people don't get that, Pete. And that's why, like, when I talk about these Hollywood things, the people I've met, the sets that I go on, this incredible life that I lead, that I, you know, pitch a TV show on Road to Recovery, um, I go into those bungalows, right? And now I'm sitting there against the executive producers and the network pitching something that's dear, and, uh, dear to my heart. As I watch a Universal Studios tour tram go by, knowing that in three hours, I got to jump on one of those and do my tour. Yeah. That's, that, that's the wild, different life that I've had to adjust to and give myself you know, a little bit credit for saying, hey, you dove into something that's entirely different, a gig economy, something you don't know, you know as well. And a lot of people have helped along the way. When I was living in my car for a few days, trying to get Daniel Baldwin to help me do a show that I was pitching. Uh, he said yes to that, but he said, why are you living in your car? And I don't know Daniel well. He's like, you know, here's some advice. He goes, you're a grown-ass man. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but if we're in our recovery, we don't live in our cars. He yeah. said, you know, ask for help. And then he found me a place to live for the next 16 months. Wow. 
you know, and I don't know him very well, you know, and I'm very grateful, um, you know, for that. It's, it's not because it's Daniel Baldwin. It's all those people that have helped us. And I'm sure Pete, you could rattle them off too. Oh my God. So many people put their hands out there for me. And so that's our job today, right? Is to, to be available. The last thing I'll ask you, um, well, I guess two more things. What, what do you tell somebody that comes around that's just trying to get a day, you know, a young guy or, or an old guy, somebody that's a newcomer? What do you tell them? Hold on. I mean, and keep, you know, it's so cliche. Keep coming back. But, you know, just give it a shot. Give it a chance, you know, because what you're doing right now isn't working. And what's so wrong with this? Yeah. You know, and you, but you have to, you have to connect. And I think that takes time. And I think that, you know, a lot of, a lot of us are coming in with so many different, you know, stories of, I don't like saying broken, you know, but just that we're struggling, you know? And I also tell him, you know, it was a great Brad Pitt quote that he said to uh, Anthony Hopkins when Anthony Hopkins was interviewing with is, you know, I remind people of this. It applies to my life. We've always placed great importance on the mistake. But the next move, what you do after the mistake, is what really defines a person. We're all going to make mistakes, but what is the next step? And, you know, as a culture, we don't seem to stick around and see what the next step is. That's what interests me. Yeah. And I think that he nailed it. Are you, are but you, you've got to stick around. Yeah, you have to stick around. Now, where, where can we find you as far as, you know, social media platforms, you know, if people want to see your stuff, get in touch, how sure. can they find you? You know, it's uh, it's Rob. I don't do a whole lot of it. It's, it's Rob Coble Instagram. It's underscore uh, K O E B E L. Um, there's uh, my web page is my name Rob K O E B E L dot com, and uh, there's a, a True Crime podcast on there that you know I've been working on too. And uh, yeah, you'll find the same same on Twitter and Facebook. And you're the man, Rob. So so you got an audition today. I do have an audition today. I had a really cool fitting yesterday, and uh, in a couple weeks, I have a new uh, dance show that I'm helping the producers sort of um, um, get together and see how that's going to work. And so what's the audition today, can you say? Uh, just commercial. It wouldn't okay. be anything you guys know. But again, commercial, you know, a lot of people are like, Commercials pay the bills, dude. Pete, okay, so you know it all, man. You, can, yeah. you, you know it all, and let's... <laughs> I have fun of friends that do the episodic, that do the features, but it's those commercials. So, you know, $25,000 commercial is going to help me, you know, survive in Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, good luck today, man. And, you know, I, I, we'll, we'll be in touch. We'll keep in touch. This is going to be up tomorrow, so I'll send you a link. Uh, and, okay. yeah, send me a link for, for Leap and for, uh, for, for the Knievel uh, movie, too, and, well, and, I'll, and I'll put them on here. So much for everything that you're doing to get the word out there, and congratulations on an incredible journey, man. You are fighting it. You're going after your passion, and I know it ain't easy, but uh, you've been very inspiring. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate the time, man. I really do. Hang in there. Hi, right, buddy. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, and of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. Podcast.